0: Hi, I'm Grant Wall and welcome to the Planet Football podcast where I go in depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe, rate and review the podcast. In this episode, Brian Strauss and I get ready for our daily World Cup podcast by discussing our stories in the SI World Cup preview issue. Brian explains what it was like at the SI cover shoot with Chicharito Hernandez, Chucky Lozano and Carlos Vela and I talk about what went into my new half-hour video documentary on Iceland on SITV and my cover story on Muhammad Salah. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss from Washington, D.C. Brian, how are you doing, man? Uh,
1: I've got, um, got Stanley Cup fever. Okay, awesome. Um, I'm completely and totally unprepared for this trip we're about to go on. <laughs> um... And uh, you know I'm upright and breathing. So,
0: well, congratulations to your Washington Capitals so far. Um, I know it's not uh, set in stone anything yet. No, but-
1: no, no. So much could still go wrong. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's an awesome it's an awesome ride. And and you know I, I uh, if if you're a sports fan and you care about really only one team, I, I recommend uh, that you have that team go on a on a championship run after 35 years of failure. It's, um, well, for me, 35, you know, for others, 43 or more. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a rush. And, of course, it's all happening as we're kind of getting ready uh, for this trip or not getting ready, as the case may be. This will be the last podcast we, we record on American soil, I guess, because you're you're leaving in a few days, and I'm leaving. I'll be on a plane a week from right this very minute um, going over there. So yeah.
0: I mean, it's uh, it's pretty exciting, my man. Looking forward to being over there. Uh, we may have mentioned this before. We are doing a daily podcast during the World Cup. It starts on the twelfth of June, the same day you arrive, which I think should make for an entertaining start. And literally goes every single day of the tournament, even the tournament off days through the day after the final.
1: So, what what are what are the odds, though? I mean, that's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> But what are the odds? I mean, that's like, you know, I mean, that's that's that would be a Ripkin esque kind of feat if we actually pull it off. If nothing goes wrong, logistically, technologically, with 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 alcohol or wildlife or or corrupt cops or my sense of direction, like this, I'm just saying, like we may want to have some fine print underneath that, like. If possible, you know, we are, we are, we are going to aim to do a daily podcast. If we actually pull it off, we deserve medals.
0: You have little faith, Brian Strauss. Uh, When I say we are going to do something, that (laughs) means we are going to do something, my friend. Um, And I'm very much looking forward to it because uh, we've talked about our excitement about going to Russia. We had a podcast a couple weeks ago talking about our experiences covering World Cups before. Um, And There's a ton to talk about with, obviously, so many games going on, so many stories emerging. And then your own travel stories through Russia, I think, uh, will be very interesting to hear. Um, And, yes, uh, we have some preparations that are left to take care of this week. I actually leave on Thursday uh, to join my Fox Sports brethren in Moscow on Friday uh, when they want us to come. And then you come on the 12th, which is the day before the 13th, which is decision day for the World Cup 26 bids, and who will host that tournament? You've got the United bid of North American countries, USA, Mexico, and Canada competing against Morocco. And all the FIFA countries, all 207 that aren't bidding, are going to vote in this election. And so the The single biggest day for the u s. of this World Cup is going to be the day before it starts. How are you feeling about things?
1: yeah, that's that's our final, so to speak. Um what was interesting, the technical reports or evaluation, you know, the scores came out this week and 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 they were as expected, you know, I mean, evaluating the bids um, you know for their sort of technical and tangible standards. And obviously, as we know, Um, absent the stadiums they need to host a World Cup. Morocco would have an enormous amount of work to do, not training centers, hotels, just to sort of build the infrastructure. Um, And so that's how the the United bid has been casting itself, like we are the uh, stress-free, problem-free bid. Uh, But as we all know, whether the voters are FIFA executive committee members or FIFA countries, I mean, I'm assuming nobody reads any of that stuff, right? So uh, <laughs> they, they <don't>,
0: certainly <laughs> didn't for 2022. They don't care.
1: They when, don't care when
0: Qatar um, beat the US after. If anything, they're
1: yeah. jostling to get the. Uh, oh, you mean Morocco needs to build, you know, billions of dollars worth of stadiums? Well, let's try to get in on those uh, on those construction deals and and you know procurement deals. And it's probably you know if, if anything, they maybe they look at it as a way to make money. Um, you know, to try to sort of get involved in, in helping to to produce that infrastructure. So. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen. I have no idea what, uh, you've been to one of these FIFA Congresses. I haven't. Um, so I don't even know what's in store for me logistically, um, reporting wise. I don't know if it's going to be mayhem. Obviously we'll know some people from U S soccer, uh, who were there as part of the United bid. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll go and, and, um, you know, I guess you have uh, I guess you have two leads written and ready, right? One is, is that the world cup is coming here in, in 2026 and the other is an, another, another failure for, for American soccer. Um, and it'll be a tough one to swallow. And there's going to be a lot of blowback. I think if, if this doesn't work out, because clearly, you know, since Carlos Codero got eliminated in, Mm -hmm. you know, people who wonder what he's doing, I've, I've been in touch with, you know, us soccer comms people as you have. I mean, he's in a different country every single day. It's not like he's sitting on his butt. Um, I mean, I've gotten texts from them from Thailand and Bahrain and, and Serbia and malaysia i think they were in at one point just an insane travel schedule um trying to stump for votes for this bid so so he has put uh carlos cordero um in order to generate the momentum and the funding and the sponsorship uh, that he thinks is necessary and i'm not defending this i'm just saying what's happening in order to generate the 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 attention and the financial momentum he thinks is necessary to solve a lot of American soccer's problems, he really believes that hosting this World Cup is a key part of that. So he's decided in the first few months of his administration to put all of his eggs in that basket.
0: What uh, You said he got eliminated. What, what did he get eliminated from? Sorry? You said earlier he got eliminated, Cordero. What did he get eliminated from? Since he got elected?
1: Elected. Did oh, I say eliminated? Okay. I, mean, I just,
0: just wanted to clarify. Yeah, yeah.
1: I meant elected, right. Um, so this is what he's been— putting everything into, um, and either he will, you know, continue with the rest of his term, uh, you know, on a high having secured it, or there's going to be a ton of questions, um, about what he's going to do next if, uh, if this bid fails.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is a big moment, uh, for him And, and honestly for North American soccer, I think to lose another world cup bid would, I think be very chastening, uh, to future bids, um, and I'll, I would I would say this. I think the likelihood is that the North American bid will get it, but I don't think it's going to be an easy win at all. And I think it's going to be potentially a close vote. I do think the idea of the FIFA National Federation presidents doing the voting, a lot of these are the same people who were there before the FIFA scandal, you know? Correct. So, you know, my experience in going to the Caribbean football union gathering a couple of years ago where the FIFA presidential candidates spoke was, it was like the show Parks and Recreation whenever they had like a town hall and, and the locals came out and you're like, wow, these are the voters. <laughs> and so, um, that to me is going to be fascinating, uh, to see how all that plays out, um, It's also possible, by the way, that neither Morocco nor the North American bid get the World Cup uh, if neither one gets a majority. One of the voting possibilities is neither one. And if that were the case, then that would throw it open to another bid process for all the countries out there except North America and Morocco.
1: There was a a, um – you know, as when you talk about the parks and rec in the Caribbean, I'm thinking like, okay, what, what would get these people to vote one way or the other? And I sort of made the half joke about construction contracts. And that really is only a half joke. Um, But look, these, these people for for the good of the game is, is the most ignored slogan in the world, right? That none of them care about what's good for the game. They care about what's good for themselves. Um, And then if they're not sort of, you know, plutocrats then they maybe care about what's good for soccer in their particular country and I hope that's what it is. Um, but you're still trying to appeal to the self-interest of 200 plus, you know, delegates or whatever. And so the 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 best shot for the united bid for people outside, you know, for people in Asia and Europe and Africa and and wherever is is the the, the idea of the the trickle down, right? Is that Infantino has promised them money for their national federations to build the sport or build their pools or whatever they're going to build. Um, and the technical report that came out this week s- forecasts the revenue for um, a United bid World Cup at $14.3 billion, $14.3 right. The revenue for the Moroccan World Cup is $7.2 So it, it comes down to that. It comes down to can they sell that discrepancy? Um, and if they can sell that discrepancy and convince these voters that some of that extra 7 billion will come their way, then, then the World Cup comes here in 2026.
0: I think it's less trickle down than very specifically, that's how Infantino came into power. Part of it was saying, I'm going to drastically increase... The amount of money that each national federation gets over a four-year period from what it was under Sepp Blatter. right? Basically, but there's that money. So, that money is in the discrepancy. But they need, I mean, yeah, they need that money though. FIFA needs that money uh, to be able to do that, uh, and so yeah, it's it's for an organization that's actually lost money the last couple of years. I totally understand why the United bid is promising such huge profits and and really selling that. I don't particularly like the fact that it reinforces this idea of the US as simply a soccer cash register for the world, because I think too often that's how we're viewed, and it's too much about the business side and the financial side, and not enough about the soccer side here, but I also understand you're trying to win an election, and so you're leveraging that.
1: Well, and, 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 and FIFA has not cared about that sort of soccer side or soccer culture when awarding recent World Cups. It's just not been an issue. So, yeah, I completely get why that, I mean, they've talked about certainly when meeting with us and certainly when presenting some of their materials originally, they talked about what it could do for the sport here and, and, and about how in our own way, we are a soccer country. And then of course, when you bring Mexico into the equation, I mean, that's as authentic a soccer culture as there is on the planet. Um, and I imagine that nobody gives a damn. So, um, it comes down to that, you know, 14.3 versus 7.2, um, and uh, hoping that that sways enough voters to get it done.
0: So let's talk about the Sports Illustrated World Cup preview issue, the magazine, the old print magazine. Now, these stories are online as well, which is a good thing. But we put a lot of effort into this, and the magazine just came out, and I suggest uh, listeners take a look at it. Uh, the story that uh, the main one that you wrote in there is on Mexico and... I wanted to get your sense of what that story was about, uh, what you experienced writing it.
1: Well, I wrote two stories. One of them is still being worked on and debated. So um, uh, <laughs> that's been an interesting um, an interesting experience. Uh, so yeah, I, I had two assignments, one on sort of the state of American soccer, and that one is still in the oven. And, and then, yeah, the story on Mexico, which, which was an interesting di- dichotomy. I mean, I worked on them at the same time. And so it's hard to talk about the experience without talking about sort of that collision of one thing that I've spent my entire life involved in on one level or another player, coach, journalist now for 20 years and, and, and think about every day for hours a day and sort of know in a very intimate way. And then another uh, Mexico, which which was alien to me. I mean, I've, I've covered Mexico only as the foil for the U.S. i S I've covered Mexico only when the U S plays them in a qualifier or in a gold cup. And so I thought it was interesting. I mean, I thought it was interesting that I was assigned this piece because, but it was symbolic as well, because the whole idea of the story is that there's this parallel America, um, that's just as American as we are. And there are tens of millions of them, um and they deeply deeply love this team and they they and they live and breathe and immerse themselves in a culture um that's different from mine and so the, the the idea of the story um sort of required me to sort of cross that boundary um and and make an effort to get to know uh this culture that I'd ignored too um that I was guilty of as well um so it was it was interesting and eye-opening and and I found especially um Guillermo Cantu, who's the secretary general, I think that's his title, of the FMF, and then Chicharito Hernandez, who, of course, is Chicharito, um, th- that they were – I explained this to them, and they they could not have been more excited and accommodating to sort of open uh, that a window for me a little bit um, so I could get a glimpse of what it's about. Um, and so spending time in Mexico – with Mexico in San Jose – um, being around the hotel, being around the stadium, seeing the people who flock to this team, who want to be a part of this team, who stand outside on a, on a Thursday afternoon and hope to see them in the hotel windows. Um, and, and that these are people who, many of whom are born in the U S who speak perfect English, who are, who are educated in American schools, who go to American colleges. And yet this is a way for them to capture a part of their identity, um, that otherwise would sort of you know slip away and and it was just a really really neat experience and i i hope i captured at least some of that
0: now you were there right for the cover shoot that included chucky lozano chicharito and carlos Vela. i was what was that like
1: ludicrous <laughs> um the best part was it's weird because like is it on the record like when i like the best part was javier javier came first uh-huh. um and, uh, so he was there on his own and I'm not sure if that was uh, on accident or on purpose. Um, but, uh, the photographer was trying to get Chicharito to, to, on his own to, to sort of celebrate, you know, the, all the covers are the covers of these poses, right? The right. covers by celebrating, well, except, well, I guess most of celebrating too, but in his, in his iconic way. Um, and Chicharito was arguing <laughs> um, with the photographer, like, no, I do not celebrate like this. This is unnatural. I would not do this. And so the photographer's like, all right, well, jump and pump your fist. And Chicharito's arguing with him about the, the path he would like. I don't run straight, I would curl around. And it was the most surreal thing ever um, to see people at this level uh, having this kind of discussion. And I have, I just took some pictures with my phone. And I have a couple of photos of Chicharito kind of like being like pouty and surly, you know, (laughs) because he's
0: annoyed
1: (laughs) that the celebration that he's being asked to do for the shoot is less authentic than the one. It was just amazing. And then uh, uh, Carlos Vela and Chucky Lozano got there. And again, I don't know if it was planned that way or if they got there a little late. Um, But then the entire atmosphere changed. I mean, they're obviously buddies and... um, all of a sudden, it was romper room. It was it was just so stupid and funny, and they were making jokes and 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 ruining photos with stupid. I mean, everything short of bunny ears. You know. <laughs> Chicharito did the dog peeing celebration. Um, and and the other cool thing that I noticed, I mean, obviously Chicharito is fluent in English. Carlos Vela speaks pretty good English. Um, and and Chucky Lozano. Uh, if he speaks it, he's not comfortable. But he clearly understood. I mean, there clearly mm-hmm. there was very little that you would say to him or ask of him that, that he was he didn't understand. Um, and and they you know they're on social media. Um, while we were doing the shoot, uh, Zlatan posted uh, the, the the it was confirmed that Zlatan was signing with the Galaxy. It was literally while we were in the room, and he posted that ridiculous uh, Photoshop of him arm wrestling the devil. <laughs> And so uh, I showed I showed you know Vela's at laFC. I showed Vela, i showed I showed uh, Chicharito and they just went crazy and and were giggling about it. and 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 it they it's just very connected. And one of the things, they're very connected. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I interviewed Luis Fernandez while I was in San Jose, um, and you know, he played at a different time. He even scolded some Mexican players for leaving for Europe or the u s. Uh, before they had won a Mexican title he said that's wrong it it was just a delightful get off my lawn kind of vibe from Luis Hernandez that that you know these guys are going abroad and they haven't won in Mexico and who do they think they are and you know that kind of thing (laughs) talking about sort of how how vicious the games used to be Guillermo Cantu said the same thing I spoke to Landon Donovan who's always great for this kind of stuff perspective because Landon kind of Lived the, the 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 rivalry as it evolved, um, and you you you. It was clear from talking to Luis that Mexican players, for a lot of cultural and economic and and, and sporting reasons, used to be far more isolated. Right, they spent the majority of their careers in Mexico. Um, you know, they didn't necessarily uh, have any connections with U.S. players. They didn't have common teammates. They didn't have a common language. They didn't have common footballing experiences um we were isolated as well of course for the obvious reasons and then you skip you go a generation ahead and you have guys like Chicharito and Carlos Vela and 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 you know Lozano is playing in the Netherlands and 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 they are they are truly citizens of the world and they are truly representative of the way these cultures have have bled into each other and the way these walls have come down and they're just they just have such a different outlook on so many things as do our players as to someone like Michael Bradley and Jermaine Jones, who were the ones who contacted Mexico um, to set up that incredible uh, photo before the qualifier in Columbus of the two yeah. teams together a few days before the election. And that's just not stuff that happened 25 years ago. Um, so all of that stuff, to see little little, little glimpses of all of that um, was really cool. And no, U.S. fans, you don't have to root for Mexico. It doesn't say that anywhere in the story. Please just, like read at a seventh grade level yeah please.
0: i i knew this please. would cause some issues on social yes. media just dude due to somebody that. i mean i got a lot of maga tweets and that kind of thing
1: somebody tweeted me a gif or a gif whatever of of stormtroopers and not the star wars kind right like jit like goose-stepping 1940s stormtroopers ss and you just you got to be kidding me like what the fuck is wrong with people it's just a this i i guess i kind of expected it adam duerson our editor was like look there's gonna be some blowback from this but but people's talk about triggers my god it's just a story about how some of your neighbors like mexico that's just all it is
0: yeah it, it's an interesting one because like the the cover line america's other team uh i thought was a really subtle way to, to get it right. I like and, it. But it also was one of those Rashomon type situations where everyone has a different perspective on it. Um, and one of the, like, you know, obviously the, the, the Trump types had an issue with it, whatever. Um, and then, but even on the other side, Uh, some Mexican-Americans had an issue with it because they're like, we aren't the other team in the U.S. We're more popular than the U.S. team is in the U.S. in terms of our ability to fill NFL stadiums for friendlies in the Rose Bowl and places like that. Um, And I can get... I understand all the different perspectives. Um, One thing that I would say, though, is, one, we're not asking U.S. fans to root for Mexico. Just stop that. Two... Um, if some people took it as America's other team, meaning America, like if you were an American, that that was your second team, Mexico. And all I would say to that is the only way that you can take that out of it is if you ass- you're assuming that... America in that America means white Americans,
1: right? And that's why I want exactly and that's why I wanted to paint the picture Very early on I actually fought to get this sentence back in the story this idea of these parallel Americas that 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 now and then intersect um, you know through soccer um, and uh, You know, I, I wanted to I wanted to share that story and I, and I even said to someone on Twitter I said look I'm, I'm never gonna root for Mexico like it's never gonna happen but I respect the fact that tens of millions of my countrymen, actual Americans, just like me, do root for Mexico, and and so that's it. It's 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 quite simple, and and it's not a it's not a, you know, p- people look for political statements and and propaganda and bullshit in order to try to make themselves feel smarter, um, and there really isn't any there. It's simply that you know you may not realize it. And again, this is to a general Sports Illustrated audience. You may not realize it, but the most popular sports team in this country is the Mexican national soccer team. Look at what they do. I mean, I, and, and well, and soccer, I mean, I looked this up the other day in the month of May when there are a lot of pretty big soccer games being played. One, two, three, four, five, six, six of the top seven viewed team games on television involved Mexico involved yeah. either Liga MX playoffs or the Mexican national team. Six of the top seven. You know, more, you know, Santos Club America uh, in in the Liga MX playoffs got more viewers than the FA Cup final, um, than Barcelona, Real Madrid, and and then the U.S. Bolivia game. And that wasn't even the Liga MX final. I mean, it, there's just the sheer number and sheer passion of these people, like Donovan said in the story. I mean, you people who aren't exposed to this every day don't understand the passion and and the commitment that these people bring you know each each mexican friendly in the us attracts people from an average of 30 states that's remarkable um and all and all the story is doing is is introducing people to this phenomenon it's not there you know hey, there's even a line in the story that says nobody expects us fans to cheer for mexico and yet people People can't read. Um, But anyway, it was it was was a a fascinating, um, you know, for having played for so long. um, And of course, growing up playing in the in the suburban D.C., you know, kind of environment in the travel league here. You know, there weren't a ton of Hispanic kids on our teams growing up. You know, when I had the conversation with Landon, he talked about how different his upbringing was from mine. I mean, he said my neighborhood was full of Full of kids from all over the place, um, and yours wasn't. So I had a, I had an exposure to this culture and this language and this style of football, you know, that, that benefited me, you know, growing up. Um, so for someone who grew up like I did, um, and then, like I said, always covered Mexico as the enemy. Um, to have this experience was, as Chicharito said, now you're now you're getting to know me. Now you're getting to know us. Now now the walls are coming down for you too. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll never cheer for Mexico. I I will delight in seeing. You know, if their round of 16 streak continues, I I think that'd be funny. But um, I just have an enormous amount of respect uh, for the commitment their fans make. And I I think it's a really, really neat thing. And it doesn't threaten me as an American at all. I am not threatened by this. I don't feel sidelined by this. This is what, as Bradley said, this is what being American is about and, and, and we should embrace it. Um, and it's it's completely cool. I'll support my team. you support yours, mm-hmm. you know, and as and as Kantu says, let's let's have a party. So that that was all it was. And it was a cool experience. It, not as cool as as petting mini horses in Iceland, I would
0: imagine. <laughs> so yeah, so I got a couple stories in the preview issue as well. One was on Iceland. Um, I went there for a week last month. Uh, Ended up traveling around the country on a road trip uh, around the perimeter on Route 1, uh, but also met up with Hamir Halgrimson, the dentist-turned-coach of the Iceland national team, which debuts in the World Cup against Argentina and Lionel Messi, and just had a blast uh, getting to know Iceland soccer, getting to know Iceland even better. And we also did, in addition to the magazine story, uh, the most ambitious SI video project I've ever been involved in, which is a half hour mini doc that just posted, uh, that I would suggest you check out. Do this, the seven day free trial on SITV because I was blown away by how it turned out. Uh, I was there when I saw the second I saw the drone and I was going to say, you got, drones,
1: you got drones, you got mini horses. <laughs> You got soccer, you got waterfalls. What more do you want? <laughs> what more do you want in your entertainment than drones, mini horses, and soccer? Make it happen.
0: And I don't I didn't come off as a total jackass on the video, which I you know, is it, it was the first one of these types that I, I was doing in, in that well,
1: we'll let we'll let Twitter decide that, Greg.
0: Apparently, yes. Um but uh it's my own little Anthony Bourdain does soccer thing and uh huge thanks to Lee Finer and Nick Midwig, who are with me on the trip, and just produced an amazing uh, video that I suggest you check out. Uh, we're going to do some more of these moving forward, and SITV is doing some really cool stuff. Um, the other story I've got in the issue is Muhammad Salah, who we are— Expecting to get better in time for at least the second or third game of the World Cup after his injury in the Champions League final. Mohamed Salah, this is an example here, Brian, that the cover of Sports Illustrated still matters. Mohamed Salah did one interview with a publication globally pre-World Cup. And that was Sports Illustrated. Uh, The chance to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated really excited him. And, uh, And so... Uh, that interview got done. He did do an interview, I think, with CNN. But this was the only like written publication uh, that you know print that he did an interview with. And he was just a a really neat guy. Getting to know him and his story, and having him tell it, uh, uh, talking about growing up in Egypt, uh, and his sense that this is not a surprise. What he's done this season with Liverpool, uh, that this was part of his vision, as he put it. Uh, we did the interview in English, and uh, just uh, a really pleasant guy to talk to.
1: So let, let's let's talk about Iceland first. I mean, yeah. I, I, what is what's the secret sauce? I mean, what what has been you know now that you spend time with with coach, players, the federation, you, you, you saw things on the ground. I mean, what what are the you know is 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 it simply a function of scale that it's just a hell of a lot easier in a country that small with that few people to sort of Put money to work and put resources to work and really give, give coaches and players the, 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 the resources, the individual attention um, that they need? Or, or is there something else going on there?
0: There's a few things going on there. One is coaching. There are per capita a tremendous number of UEFA licensed coaches in Iceland um, for both boys and girls. Equality is a big part of it as well. Uh, so you're going to get good coaching. Uh, facilities are incredible there and there is a good standard of living in Iceland so they can afford these types of, they call them indoor halls all over the country that, you know, there's more than a dozen of them now in the country. And a lot of them are official size soccer fields, uh, where you can play all winter long, um, which has a huge impact on, uh, developing talent. Um, And by the way, the Iceland's women's team is about to qualify for the Women's World Cup for the first time. They recently won a qualifier at uh, Olympic champion Germany. But um, there's that that's going on. Um, There's also the sense that we talked about the virtues of smallness, which I think gets a little bit into what you were saying, which is if you have sort of a national plan, it's very easy to communicate that plan and communicate vision and directives when you sort of know everybody. And basically everyone knows everybody there. And then at the the senior national team level on the men's side, Lars Lagerbach, who was the coach leading up to Euro 2016, uh, left after that, but he gets a ton of credit for professionalizing the senior national team approach uh, to things. And that includes you know, chartering to games and not connecting uh, on commercial flights. It includes just how you carry yourselves every day, how you go about doing things. And the current coach, Hamir, uh, was Lagerbach's assistant and then his co-head coach during Euro 2016 when Iceland eliminated England and got to the quarterfinals. And he's carried over a lot of the stuff that Lagerbach brought in. But it's amazing, man. I mean, like... Hamir, not only a, a former dentist, still a current dentist, he's actually a practicing dentist still. He's from this tiny island called Vesmanayar, which is a ferry ride off the southern coast of Iceland. And we went there and we saw his dentist office and we went to have lunch at a place and the cook behind you know, behind the counter was this guy in his early 20s who had had Hamir as his youth coach and as his dentist. So like everybody there knows Hamir is like this former youth soccer coach and dentist uh, that they had. Because there's not that many dentists on this island of 4,000. But it's pretty incredible, just the whole thing. And um, so we spent a week there. We interviewed people all over the country, including in Reykjavik, but also in different parts of Iceland. We even went to the far northeastern corner and found this hardcore member of their national team supporters group who drives eight hours each way to Reykjavik every time there's a national team home game.
1: When I was, I think I've talked about this before, uh, and I think it was in 1999, I guess I went to a a Euro qualifier in Reykjavik. Yeah. And it was just the, it was the quaintest friendliest thing of all time. Um, but, uh, but the people even then, I mean, this was back when Iceland truly was a minnow and, 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 uh, they were on a nice little run, and were sort of still in it at the, by the end, even though they they, they they were a long shot sort of toward the end of the qualifying stage. But were still mathematically alive, and the the place was sold out. And people were excited, and you know it sat like seven thousand people at the time, and there you know it was, it was like going to a college game. Um, but there was an enormous amount of pride, and and um, you know they they really are they really are detached, right? They really they really do feel kind of this sense of 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 physical and cultural isolation sometimes and this is just a an amazing kind of entry for them and and bridge for them into the global spotlight it's really cool
0: i mean what i would say about iceland is is that they are not a flash in the pan it's not just about beating england in the euro um sorry about that um that they're not a flash in the pan that they uh you know they've won a uefa qualifying group to get into this world cup that included croatia and turkey and ukraine so they're legit
1: yep that was a Um, tough group
0: by the way i apologize for the sound effects there that was um being punished quite quite ironically by the pop-up ad uh that came with looking up our picks uh our predictions for uh the world cup (laughs) Um, let's talk about those, my man, those, those went up uh, early this week and we've all got our, our picks. Um, and I'm, I'm bringing up yours in one second here.
1: I, I hate predictions. Hate them.
0: Well, you have got France beating Germany in the final, your final four, France, Belgium, Spain, Germany. Um, any particular upsets or teams to not to get out of the group stage you're picking
1: no i think we all kind of probably agreed that the that the group stage is pretty top heavy right i think it's it's certainly tough as, as someone who who spends a lot of time around the u.s national team um to to sort of realize that oh god the u.s is better than a lot of teams at this world cup you know <laughs> like that's man you know there's a there's a lot of a lot of cringy games um, and, and the sport, like everything in life, uh, you know, is becoming, is becoming pretty top heavy. Um, you know, the toughest part for me, uh, you know, again, I mean, I, I think there are three teams, I think there are three teams that have all, everything you need to win. Um, and those are France, Germany, and Spain. Um, and so picking from among those three, uh, you know, you, you could, you could put them in a hat really, but, um, you know, I just, I, France for whatever reason, um, The depth that they have, um, the play, you know, I've just been convinced that depth is so crucial at a World Cup and that this idea that you have to have sort of a a really rigid kind of tactical plan leading into the first game. I mean, well, you know, wasn't wasn't Philip Lom playing as a midfielder for a chunk of the World Cup, you know, when Germany won it four years ago. I mean, it's it's things change, things evolve. You have to be able to play two or three different ways. You know, France can go with with two up top or with three Um, Griezmann is a world class finisher um, they're, they're young, they're fit. Um, they're going to be hungry after what happened two years ago at, at Stade de France to Portugal. I, I just repeating is really hard. Uh, you know, I, I, just, I, it was just, look, these are all hunches, right? These are all, all magic right. eight ball. This is all dartboard bullshit. So, um, you know, I just think it's France's time. They're just on a trajectory uh, that made me feel okay picking them. Um, the hardest part for me, and and look, and, and I was I was agonizing over this before realizing what you were going to do. Um, <laughs> it was picking Brazil to go out in the quarterfinals because Brazil is really good. Um, but I guess I just have I guess the scars of Bello haven't healed for me, and I just think um, that there may be some issues with this team that they may be a bit thin at certain positions. That um, relying on Neymar, um, even if they don't mean to. Um, they will, um, and that you know there's just something fragile about him sometimes that I'm I'm concerned about. So I have them going out to Belgium, who I think is pretty stacked um, in the quarterfinal. Uh, but you have Brazil going out of the second round. So um, Brazilian fans uh, direct your uh, your tweets and flaming bags of poo at Grant, um, cause at least I have him going a bit further, but a bunch of our colleagues have uh, have Brazil winning the whole thing. So um, nobody picked Germany among the five of us. I thought that was interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got, uh, I got France winning the, winning the world cup.
0: Yeah. In a sense, like Germany is like a team that is sort of an obvious pick. And the, the main reason I'm not picking them is because I just don't see them winning two in a row. I, I, I think Germany could get to the semifinals and play against a team like Spain and probably play a decent game and still lose. You know, I think, look what happened in the Euro against France. Um, And I also think, like, look, uh, Yogi Love's not infallible. You know, I, I was stunned to see Leroy Sané get dropped from the team uh, for the World Cup. That's kind of a, a crazy decision in my mind, even though I know that Sané hasn't performed that well for the national team in the past. But Um, predictions are interesting. I mean, like, I always used to do our predictions for the NCAA basketball tournament in the magazine, and you would put so much time into all the stories for the preview issue, and then 95% of the letters you would get for that issue were for the predictions that took me 15 minutes to do. And that always used to frustrate me. But I also know people like predicting things, and, uh, look, if I get some of these upset picks right, then... I'll probably put that out there, you know <laughs> uh,
1: i went, I went back to our picks four years ago and and looked at them and i I picked Brazil to win the World Cup four years ago i my re, My reasoning was something like i I remember having a sentence something along the lines of you know they had this absurd like thirty year unbeaten streak in official games on home soil or something, right. and you know I, I underestimated you know Germany building its own hotel, you know <laughs>
0: I, did, I, mean, I didn't
1: know about that at the time. Um, I'm doing, I'm working on a story this week, actually on Germany and the DFB and sort of their, their approach and actually how their approach ha- has, has involves MLS. Um, interestingly, uh, the, the t- for their, their, their effort to get better and to turn over every, every stone um, has a connection to an MLS club. Uh, and, and so I'll be writing about this week. Um, but yeah, I, I picked Brazil four years ago and um Uh, They lost seven to one, man. Like, like I just, there's just something about uh, until they prove otherwise, they, they're fragile to me and, um, and, and, and we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, picking, picking a team to repeat is really hard. And, and when you say Yogi Love is not infallible, I I mean, even if he was, that doesn't mean they're going to win the world cup. That doesn't mean that all the things and all the bounces and all the breaks are going to go their way, you know, to win the world cup, you have to have so much go right. Um, some of which is, you know, is out of your control. Referees, injuries, things like that. So um, that's why there's always a pool of three or four teams that seem to be good enough to win it. Um, you know, I thought Jonathan Wilson's kind of argument was interesting. That it's it, 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 one of the things that I said was that you know, depth and pedigree and this kind of constant and reliable conveyor belt of talent are what wins World Cups. And he made the point that we we haven't had the shock winner. We haven't had the grease. You know, in, from Euro, we, we haven't – why hasn't this happened at a World Cup? We'll see surprise semifinalists. You know, oftentimes one of the four semifinalists kind of comes out of nowhere, Bulgaria, Korea, Turkey, that kind of thing. Well, I guess that was two or four that year. But you know what I'm saying? Like, But we don't, see, we don't see Cinderella finalists. We don't see Cinderella World Cup winners. And I wonder if that's ever going to change.
0: Yeah. I mean there hasn't really been a huge sample size of World Cups when you think about it. I think there's been 20 men's World Cups – uh, three countries—Germany, Italy, and Brazil—have won 13 of the 20 World Cups. Um, on the men's side, that's pretty incredible. Um, so I—I I guess in some ways, you know, Italy's not here at this tournament, but you know, Germany and Brazil—if you pick one of those teams—you're you, probably, based on history, likely to be right. Um, of all the teams, sort of the heavyweight teams that I pick, not. You know, I chose one to pick not to get out of the group. There always seems to be at least one or two or more. Uh, I picked Argentina. I felt like Portugal, the European champion, is sort of the hipster's pick not to get out of the group and for Morocco to get out ahead of Portugal in that group. So I wanted to sort of zag a little bit. And uh, I've got Argentina not getting out of its group. I've got Israel or uh, Iceland and uh, Croatia.
1: I think Croatia's going to win that group. I think people are sleeping on Croatia. They're, they're sort of my dark horse quarterfinalist. Um, but yeah, I have Argentina finishing second and then I think going out to France, but what, wh- why do you think, uh, why do you think Iceland's going to beat, uh, beat Argentina or, I, or I don't know finish if gonna, above? Yeah.
0: Argentina? I, I, I think Iceland's going to get a result against Argentina in the first game. And I think they'll use that as a springboard. Um, Iceland knows Croatia extremely well. They finished ahead of Croatia in their UEFA qualifying group for this tournament. They lost to Croatia in the playoff in UEFA to get into World Cup 2014. So there's going to be no surprises there for Iceland. And I think Iceland is a better team than Nigeria. So uh, if you can get a point against Argentina if you're Iceland uh, and get uh, either six or four from... Nigeria and Croatia, you're through.
1: So you remember your whole bottle of wine story? Yeah. In France, so you're gonna need to. I don't know wine at all. At all, I I don't know. If it all tastes like cough medicine to me. I I'm a I'm a I'm a barbarian. Um, so I, I'm gonna need you though because I have not gotten in to the Iceland Argentina game. Like it's it's oversubscribed. So. Um, as a, as a non, I guess, as an American journalist, uh, you know, my country didn't qualify. So I'm sort of down on the pecking order. So as of now, I do not have a credential uh, for the Iceland Argentina game in Moscow, which is big for all the obvious reasons. So we're going to need to, I don't know what, I don't know, maybe it's wine. I don't know what (laughs) Russians, what kind of bribes they want. When I was a really little kid and my grandmother and grandfather went to the then Soviet Union, I remember them packing like bags full of, you know, Chewing gum and stickers and, 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 and cool, you know, I don't know, denim, you know, to like hand out to kids and, and police and whomever they kind of came across to kind of get what they wanted. So I don't know what the currency is over there, but I may need some I may need some help to get into that game.
0: I will say this. So what you're not what you don't have, you have a credential to get into the stadium. What you don't have is a seat inside the stadium. Right. With, I would with be
1: covering I would be covering the game from the, press the media center off off TV. Yes.
0: Um, that also doesn't necessarily mean that you would not be able to find a way to get a press conference pass or a mix zone pass. It also means you might get shut out of all of them. And then I'm not sure quite what FIFA expects you to do. Um, Yeah. I guess
1: I assumed if I didn't get the match (laughs) ticket, then I wouldn't be getting into the press conference. Well, you can only apply. uh, This may be different. You can only apply for one of the two. I, got, I guess when the U S was in the, in the world cup, we could get both. We, we got mix zone and press conference, but, but at least in the, in the, in the application process this time, you got press conference or mix zone. And I always applied for the press conference cause I figured like none of these players know me and they're not going to stop for me in the mix zone. So I may as well try to get to the press conference and at least have answers translated, you know, and, and, and get some quotes. Right. Um, so, but I've got none of that for the Argentina Iceland game. Um, so it sounds like uh, bribery slash criminality. <laughs> I'm gonna. Sure. I mean, I'm sorry, but I may wind up in jail in my first week in Russia. Like that's just what this comes down to.
0: It, it also doesn't exactly have me feeling great about our chances to get seats for the World Cup final if we can't get into Argentina, Iceland.
1: <laughs> this could be a rough month, man. Why, <laughs> from the media center in the parking lot outside Ooh, the stadium. jeez. Um, like when we when we were in Recife, right? And we were in Recife for the it was the Germany game, the US Germany game, and it was flooding and pouring rain and monsoon and apocalyptic and it was a complete nightmare. And the we rode the bus. I don't think we told this story on our World Cup story. So I'm going to a podcast our our wedding our drunk obvious wedding podcast. So all the US media is riding the bus. Through the flooded streets of recife to the stadium which is way outside the city for the us germany game and it's pouring rain and you see people driving by on mopeds with the water up to their waists um it's just it's it's absurd outside and we get to the parking lot and the vote those of us that have media match tickets go inside and everybody else including uh, our video crew, who, who, who you were with in Iceland, uh, Fox's video crew, Yahoo's video crew. There were, there were 15 to 20 other kind of media people there who weren't going to be sitting in the press box itself. And they were waiting on U.S. Soccer's bus for their tickets into the game. So U.S. Soccer's bus never arrived. Uh, it had federation people, players, families. Um, all of those people never got to the game because the flooding got so bad. So our colleagues and the rest of the media people sat in the parking lot on the bus for what, essentially 10 hours, right? While, while the entire game went, I mean, while everything happened and we all walked back out to the bus, which was, you know, a hundred yards outside the stadium in, you know, late into the evening after the U.S. has lost to Germany, but qualified for the second round and it's Lord of the Flies, like on the bus because they've all been sitting there. Uh, for 10 hours. So that's the glamour of the World Cup, everybody.
0: <laughs> Memories, baby. All I remember was that Recife really needed better drainage. That was my big takeaway. They had this state-of-the-art oh, state stadium 20 miles outside the city, but then in the city itself, it was uh, total flooding because they had no infrastructure.
1: And for whatever reason, the bus we had, had some, even though it was like the media—I don't remember how it worked—but somehow all of the U.S. media was on this bus, and I guess it was part of the fee that we paid U.S. soccer, right? Like, you know, part of what we paid for that to them was used to to like rent a bus like this to take us to the game, um, just just to sort of make it easier on everybody. But anyway, the bus had some kind of World Cup branding on it, um, and so as we were driving through the streets of Recife, and people were just standing outside buildings and their houses, just just soaked and and like I said, waist deep in water we were, we were the establishment. We were the plutocrats. Like they didn't know it was just like a bunch of like poor disheveled reporters. Like for all they knew, like step ladder was rolling by, you know, it was a FIFA bus. And so, Oh, people giving us the finger and screaming at us. And, and, you know, because they're sharks like, right. It's like a shark attack capital of the world and the streets are flooded and they're all standing there waiting for jaws and, like, it's our fault because, like, we have the World Cup in a place with no drainage. It was awful. It was it was just a miserable, miserable day. And then, of course, everyone else spent the entire 10 hours because you get to a game like four hours early, right? right? So, like, they were there for 10 hours sitting on that bus um, trading on – I think they were trading off um, – They were watching on somebody's phone until the phone died, right? And then they would trade off and watch watch the game on someone else's phone until their phone died. Um, That and eating each other. So
0: So, I think we're going to wrap this up. Uh, This is our last podcast pre-World Cup where both of us will be in the United States. We're going to have a daily podcast starting June 12th. Me and Brian Strauss. Looking forward to it, my friend. Thanks as always. See you in Russia. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the 30-Minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on Amazon and FUBO TV. Recent guests include Tim Ream, Christian Fuchs, Indy Cowie, and Juan Pablo Angel. See you next time.
1: Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.